We want us to take our Bibles this morning and return to our study of the Gospel of Luke. We find ourselves once again in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, as we are looking in depth at the words of Jesus as He teaches about life as a Christian, life as a follower of Him. We have taken it and framed it really in our own understanding under the title, What is a Christian? What is a Christian? And in asking that question, we are actually asking not about how does someone become a Christian. We are asking what does Christianity look like in the life of a person who truly has a relationship with God? What does it look like in the outworking in their life? Many to say today that they know God. In fact, it's very popular today to say, I know God, I have a relationship with God. They say they have some kind of relationship, albeit very generic, in a relationship with God. They even will go on to say that when they die in the physical life, the life that we live here on this earth, that they will end up in heaven. Why? Because they know God. And after all, God would never send anyone to judgment because God is love. That's what we hear. That's what our world tells us. And so the doctrine of love becomes the driving factor in the world's view of the God of their own making and in how they claim to live. The doctrine of love underlies it all. Their God is a God of love, and that God of love would never in any way send anyone to a place of judgment. And yet that is not what the Bible teaches. The world today is no different than the world in which Jesus Christ walked, the world in which He came and died and lived. The religious of the day that He walked the earth believed that they had a saving relationship with God. Even those in the nation of Israel would have said they knew God. They believed that if they died in the physical life, that they would be with God in heaven. Why? Because they knew Him. They had a blessed life because they knew God. And their knowing God was based upon their own definition of who God was and their own definition of morality. And as we have been studying the Gospel of Luke and the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus comes along and He begins to teach the exact opposite of what they believe. They believe love is expressed as a reciprocating action. It is a doctrine of reciprocation. If you love me, then I love you. I do something for you, and therefore I do it in order that you might do something for me. Therefore, it was outside of the realm of defined morality to do what Jesus said. It was outside their defined idea of moral living to love an enemy. In fact, it would have been virtuous to hate an enemy. If someone does something to you, you 
certainly would not love them. If it was a hurtful thing they were doing to you, you would retaliate against them. And yet Jesus comes along and he says that the love of the kingdom citizen, the love in his kingdom, the love of God, the love of the Christian, the love of those who truly have a relationship with God is very opposite to the world's kind of love. And he says in verses 32 through 34 of Luke chapter 6, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Let me ask the question, what is, what is Jesus saying? What are the implications of the words that he's speaking there and teaching to the people? Well, he is saying that unless we love our enemies, as he has commanded it in verse 27, unless we love our enemies with all of the characteristics that we learned about as we detoured into 1 Corinthians 13, as well as coming back and even studying it here in this passage, unless we love like that, then we are nothing but common sinners. Unless we love like Jesus has commanded us to love, we are nothing except common sinners. We are not true disciples. In fact, the implication is, if you love like that, you're not part of His kingdom. Because kingdom citizens love like Jesus loved. You say, is He talking about His kingdom? Yes, of course He is. Verse 20 Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And, and the three illustrations that Jesus gives in verses 32 to 34 show us with vivid clarity that unselfishness of love is what Jesus is commanding. He is commanding a love that has nothing to do with seeking oneself. In fact, he says, what possible reciprocation could we expect from our enemy? Love your enemy. If, if you love like the world loves, if you love like those who love you, if you, if you love, if you do good to those who do good to you, if you lend to those to whom you expect to receive something back, what kind of love is that? If you love your enemy, what can you expect from your enemy? You certainly cannot expect something by way of positive reciprocation. And so the three illustrations that Jesus gives in verses 32 to 34 show us that this is a selfless love, not a selfish love. It's what does selfishness do when it looks like this? Well, first, it's selfish love. Selfishness exposes itself in selfish love. To give back only when it is given to. 
if you love those who love you. See, that's selfish love. Kind of an oxymoronic way to even think about it, because when we think of the term love, we don't think of selfishness at all, and yet Jesus is saying that. If you love like that, it is a selfish love, which really isn't love at all. Instead, it's looking out for yourself. So instead of looking out for the needs of others, instead of looking out for their best, you look out for people who are looking to give to you. And when they give to you, then you pat yourself on the back, you congratulate yourself as being loving because you are giving back to them. And so you love those who love you. But that is not the love of the kingdom citizen. That is not the love of those in the kingdom of God. That is selfish love. A person gives back only in return for love received or gives love in order to get some love, if I do something for you with the motive that I'm going to get something back, if I say to my wife, I love you in hopes that my wife will return back to me something for me, that is not love. Jesus says, what credit is that to you? In other words, what does that kind of act say about you? That's what Jesus is implying. What does it say about you? He's not using the word credit there as we have it in the English translation. What credit is that to you? He's not using that as if we gain something before God by our actions. No, he is implying in his statement to simply just talk about what it says about your life. God could actually... Or or could God actually give you any credit? Any recognition for that kind of act? Could God give you any credit for loving those who love you back? Well, the obvious answer is no, not unless God wants to give credit and recognition to sinners for sinning. God's not like that. Loving those who love you back just shows that you're like the world. That's how the world loves. That's how non-kingdom citizens love. So the love of the world has a self-calculation reality in it. The world always is calculating its return on investment. If I do something, what's that going to get me? What will it bring to me? And notice that Jesus gets more specific in verses 33 and 34, right? He just uses this overarching Term, this morality of the world, love, if you act like they act to you, if you love those who act that way to you, what credit is that to you? He gets more specific in verses 33 and 34 with the next two illustrations. Verse 33 says, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? In other words, if you practice doing good, what is good things, not harmful things, if you practice doing good things to those who will do that to you, that is just selfish morality. That is like the common sinner. That's how they think. So if we as kingdom citizens rise no higher than that in our expression of our Christianity or what we say we have as a relationship with God, if we rise no higher than the common sinner rises, then what does that say about us? 
If we love the same way they love, what does that say about us? And in verse 34, he drives it in another direction. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? One way of demonstrating doing good is through lending. And yet, the practice of lending only to those who you expect to get a return on your investment in is once again selfish, sinful morality. It's selfish, sinful love. If I do for you with the hopes that I will get something back, that's just selfish. That's not love at all. By the way, the words expect to receive in verse 34 when it says, if you lend to those who you expect to receive, those words carry the idea of interest on the loan. That's the idea. Not only do you get back what you've invested, but you get back more than you've invested. It's a, it's a good deal for you. And so whether you're talking about actually lending something or you're talking about just your love, you're giving it out in order to get more back than what you gave. So you're giving to get. It's a calculation. Is this going to be worth my time? That's the idea. So the entire act of so-called love is actually not for others. It's not an act of love. It's not a self-giving of self for others for their best. It's actually an act for you. It's self-love. It's a business transaction. And so the conclusion is the same. Love like that is not Christian love. Love like that is just normal, everyday, fallen, sinful kind of action. And on the contrary, the opposite kind of love is the love as God loves. Notice verse 35. But love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good and lend. How? Expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, because He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So here's the point. We're brought back to the original place that we were at in verse 27 when Jesus says it right out of the gate that shocked the ears of the people as they were listening to it. Love your enemies. But now added to that very command in verse 35 are examples given to us to do good, to lend. Love your enemies. And the question we have in our minds oftentimes is, okay, what's that look like? And Jesus now is honing that in from the examples he used in the negative, now bringing those into the positive in the expression of the Christian. You do good, you do lend, and you do it without the expectation of any kind of invested return. You do it just because that's what God commands of you. And so here's the principle. Here's the principle. The one way to prove by evidence that we are no longer of this world, that we have actually passed from death to life, that we are no longer in the domain of darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of His Son, the one way to prove by evidence that we are like that, that we are kingdom citizens, is to love as God loves. 
That means we are to love our enemies. I've said to you over the time of this study, just those three words have a crushing effect upon the soul when we think about it. Love our enemies, because every time we turn around, every direction that we look, there is something and someone that is opposing me. Something is opposing my desire. Something is coming against. Something is challenging. Something is doing something that I don't want done. And God is saying, love. You need to love do good to them and lend to them and expect nothing. It's a crushing reality when you think about the relationships that we have within the, the little small areas of our life by way of interpersonal relationships, sibling relationships, parent-child relationships, husband-wife relationships. The Word of God says to us we are to do nothing for them in hopes of getting something. That's selfish love. That isn't the love of God at all. The love of God is that we live like God does. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. When the Bible tells me to love my wife, I'm to love her regardless of what she does back to me, if she ever does back to me what she is commanded to do in the Scriptures as herself. And she is to follow the Word of God just as God has commanded her as a Christian whether I ever fulfill what God has commanded of me. We are to love as God loves. In other words, live totally opposite from how the world lives. Live our lives thinking of that which is best for others. And holding that which God has given us in our life with open hands, trusting God with His use of it all. It's God's anyway. This is the love of the Christian. This is the love of those who are kingdom citizens. That is the love of those who truly know God. That is the love of the children of God. That is the love of the Christian. Why? Because that is the love of the King. That is the love of our Savior. That is the love of God Himself. You notice verse 35 says, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. He's not saying that you will earn something, you will earn salvation, that you will earn some kind of personal justification before God because of your love. No. Jesus is simply saying that the God of grace pours upon you His continued unmerited grace because you're a child of His and you're walking by His Spirit. You're obediently following Him and so your reward is great. God continues to pour it on you. Beloved, the, the world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't understand that kind of love. They know none of the satisfying grace of God like we know. They don't know in a 
personal, relational kind of way with the Creator God that we have through Jesus Christ that they stand in grace. We stand in grace as Christians. They don't realize that every move and every breath and everything they do, they are under the grace of God. That God, by His graciousness and by His mercy, continues to pour out upon them His satisfying grace as He gives to them both food and breath. Both sinner and saint are recipients of the grace of God. And the sinner spurns the grace of God. And you and I, because we are saints, reveal in the unselfish desire to please God, we reveal that we stand in grace. That that is our place. It is in grace. And all of that proves who the children of God and the children of the devil are. That's why Jesus would say in verse 35, and you will be sons of the Most High. He's not saying that you will become a child of God by doing that in your life, by loving in some kind of way that the world doesn't love like. No, He is simply saying that loving like this is a reflection that you are a child of the God. You are a child of the King. You show yourself to be a child of the Most High. That's why he ends with those words, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. In other words, living like that reflects the very one who called you to be in his family. You are a child of the King, therefore live like the King. And when you live like the King, you show with unequivocal evidence that the King is living in you. Because he's kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. God didn't become God by loving as He does. God didn't become something that He wasn't because He loves ungrateful and evil people. No, He simply shows His divine character, the reality of His divine nature, the love that He is by how He loves And so Jesus is saying, listen, you will show too that you are the children of God when you love. And we know that. We know that as Christians because we know what Jesus said in John's Gospel in John 13, 35. They will know you are my disciples by what? By your love. This is the reflection of the Christian. This is the Christian life. It is a life in which we live out this principle, this principle of love. So love to our enemies doesn't make us sons of the Most High, but it proves that we are sons of the Most High. Why? Because the very character of God is shining through us. Because we would never love like that without God working in us. The world cannot do it. The world only loves those who they would say loves them. So love like that, love like God asks and expects nothing in return. That's divine love. In this is love that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. That's divine love. 
I, I can't really leave this passage without reading several other passages concerning this idea. Just, just listen. I'll just read several from the scriptures that, that speak to this in different kinds of ways. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35 to 37. The practical outworking of this love towards your neighbor. Now in case a countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take usurious interest from him, but revere your God that your countrymen may live with you. You shall not give him your silver at interest nor your food for gain. So even all the way back in the Levitical law, God was saying to the people, listen, this is the expression of love. This is how you love your enemies. This is how you love those whom you may not want to love. Even your own countrymen, when they have issues in their life and it becomes difficult for them because of either foolishness or sinfulness or some other means and they falter, you, you sustain them. You give, do good, love. Why? Because you fear God. Revere your God. Psalm 112, verse 5, It is well with the man who is gracious and lends. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, well-known passage to all of us, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Matthew 5, verse 44 and 45, the similar text of Luke chapter 6, the parallel, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. By this, the children of God and the children of devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was the evil one and killed his brother. And for what reason did he kill him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Again, 1 John 4, verse 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, 
Why? Because God is love. This is the love of God, or, or by this love of God was manifested in us. That God had sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, every one of those texts tell us the reality that the reflection, the outworking of the Christian, the outworking of the life of a kingdom citizen is the outworking of the love of God to one another. And particularly to the enemy. So it's by love that the children of God are identified. This is kingdom love. This is the love of those who are Christians. Selfish acts are not kingdom love. Selfish acts, that's world love. That's the world's kind of love. If you hurt me, I will hurt you. That's what the world says. You censor me, I'm going to censor you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. If you do to me, then I'm going to do it to you. That's not the kingdom citizen love. What our Savior is saying is that when they mistreat you, they being those who are outside the kingdom or anybody who opposes you, when you are mistreated, when you are hated, when you are receiving some kind of hurt, when they even hit you, when they take from you, don't retaliate like that. Don't retaliate like they are doing. Don't give them back what they gave you. Give to them what you wish they would give to you when you're sinful. Wish that they would give you the love of Christ. You give them the love of Christ. And you know what? Know this, God's watching. God is watching and God brings it all back around. Notice what he says in verse 36 to 38. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure... It will be measured to you in return. Again, I remind us of the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Were it not for Jesus Christ, were it not for us receiving the Spirit of God in our very personhood to live out the Christian life, those words in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 would be such an impossible standard that you and I would just shut the book and say, what's the point? I can't do it anyway. And yet, because we have God living in us, when God says, mimic me, follow me, do as I do, we can therefore do it. This is what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 6. 
God manifests His divineness by showing His mercy. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So we too, as Christians, as kingdom citizens, show our new nature by being merciful to our enemies. We show the change from the domain of darkness to the domain of His Son. It is a merciful outworking. And so God is both kind and He is merciful. What does mercy mean? Mercy. Merciful means to withhold what you are due. That's what it means. God's withholding what you are due. And so we can say that God is passively kind by expressing mercy, by withholding. It's it's an active passivity. He's actively merciful. He's actively withholding. So it's an act of kindness for God to withhold His rightful judgment. It's an act of mercy of God upon humanity, upon all of us, to withhold what is due. And so while we have no judicial right to enact judgment upon others, in our love we are to be merciful like our Heavenly Father is merciful. Be merciful. All mankind deserves His condemnation, and yet it's being withheld for a time. Of course, Romans chapter 3 says they are heaping upon heaping wrath upon wrath by rejecting God, withholding. It's the dam of God's mercy, right? That's withholding back the wrath that is to come. For you and I, that wrath was expressed upon Jesus Christ on the cross so that we can be now by faith in Jesus Christ, children of God. The wrath has been expunged in Christ and we can live like God has equipped us to live. Merciful. Merciful. Not all mankind is like that. And yet it's merciful for God to do what He's doing. Sometimes we think, As we look at the news, we watch the world around us, we see disasters all around the world. People die in earthquakes. People die in floods and fires and wars and terrorist events and all kinds of things that are going on in our world. And oftentimes we think, why? Why we try to wrestle in our minds with those events We can even ask questions like, why do these kinds of things happen to those who don't deserve it? Why is it that those people that seemingly are so innocent have been murdered or taken out by some disaster? And yet the fact of the matter is that all deserve it. All of humanity deserves it. None of mankind deserves to have the rain and the sun fall upon them. No man deserves to live. And yet in those disasters, God in His mercy has not destroyed all of mankind in that disaster. Some are spared. And so for us, the question ought to be not why do these things happen and some die. The question ought to be why do some live at all? The answer is simply this. 
God is merciful. Why do some live? Because God is merciful. 2 Peter chapter 3 clearly says that, that God is not willing that all should perish, but that some come to saving faith, some come to a knowledge of the truth. God is merciful. All sinners deserve to die, and yet God allows them to live. And so Jesus says, be merciful. Be merciful. Why? Because your heavenly Father is merciful. And then it's interesting because Jesus gives four more commands. Verses 37 and 38. He gives four more commands. He says, do not judge. Do not condemn. Pardon and give. Those are the four commands. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Pardon and give. Who are we to exercise those two? Who are we to exercise this non-judgment, non-condemning, pardon-giving? Verse 27, verse 35, our enemies. Our enemies. First, in your love, in your expression of the character of God living through you because you're a child of the King, in that expression of that, here it is. This is your disposition towards your enemies. We are to have an accepting disposition. Do not judge. And do not condemn. That's our disposition. In doing that, we will show the character of our heart. In doing that, we will show who we are under. That we ourselves are not under judgment or condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because we are not under condemnation, because we understand we are not under the judgment of God because of Christ, we can now live that way. I think this is one of the most misunderstood passages in all of Scripture. Why? Because we say We, we want to say to others often, hey, don't judge. Don't judge. We hear people say to us, we share the gospel, hey, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. Right? They say that as if to say that any kind of challenge, any kind of approach or or a challenge to sinfulness, any kind of thing that you bring up, any kind of discerning choice that you make about some direction or another is against the Scriptures because Jesus said, listen, don't judge. Normally they quickly turn over to Matthew chapter 7 because Jesus says it there. Well, if that's what Jesus was meaning and we better pull out of this passage, verses 42 and 43. 
Because verses 42 and 43 say, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye that's in your eye when you yourselves do not see the log that's in your own? Said you're hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Or verse 41, why, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Well, there is verse 43, there's no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor is there another hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Obviously, there's reason for making judgment. There's reason in life for, for calling out one way or another way. In fact, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, don't you know that you as saints will judge the world? Well, if Paul's being carried along by the Holy Spirit to give us the Word of God as we have it here, then certainly that can't mean that we can't judge. Because Paul is saying, listen, you're going to judge. There's going to come a day when you fully judge. So we are to judge. But what we are not to have is a judgmental disposition. We are not to have a condemning disposition against even our enemies. To be judgmental and condemning is to show something of the fruit of our very soul. Right? A hypocrisy that itself must be judged. We can't do that. That's hypocrisy. Remember King David? King David had this elaborate plan to go on. He had the, the sinful relationship with Bathsheba. And in that had her husband murdered. And over time that, that kept beating upon his very soul and his conscience. And a year's time goes by and he's about to be confronted about it. And Nathan comes in the room and Nathan shares with him the story, creating this parabolic story of what David had done and not using David's name in it. And David is outraged at that. David says, how can someone do that? That person needs to be judged. Nathan says, David, you're the man. How dare you? How dare you be so condemning, David? Although David was guilty of great sin, he was blind to his own condition. Therefore, it was easy for him to judge. It was easy for him to condemn. That's how it goes. If you and I have a heart and our loving is not as loving like Christ, we won't love like Christ. We'll just be judgmental. And being judgmental is merciless. It assumes all the worst about somebody else without even knowing anything about it. Why? Because it attaches motive to actions determines in itself that it can read the heart, that it can see the deep things that only God can see. And it starts to judge somebody's heart and motives. And it says, I know what you're thinking. And I know why you're thinking that. When in fact, that can't possibly be known by us because we're not omniscient. We don't know. 
remember years ago being tasked with answering the phone calls that would come into the church when I was at Grace Community Church in California. And people would call from all over the world because of the swath of Dr. MacArthur's ministry. And one gal called me and she was struggling in her life and claiming that she knew Jesus Christ and saying, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and yet living in all of these sinful ways. And I just turned to 1 John chapter 2 and said, listen, here, let me just read a passage in the scriptures. And 1 John 2 says, if we say we walk in the, if we say we're in the light and yet walk in darkness, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. That's what it says. A woman on the other end of the phone said, you can't call me a liar. I said, I'm not, I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just, just reading the Bible. This is just what God says. If you claim to know Jesus Christ and yet you're habitually walking in darkness, you're the liar. You can't judge me. Click. Hung up the phone. That's what happens. You see, we don't have... When we don't have an accepting disposition, and that doesn't mean we're accepting sin. I'm not calling that. I'm I'm talking about a disposition that isn't judgmental towards others. When we do that, when when we don't have when we have that judgmental disposition, we are assuming the place of God upon their lives. And so judgmentalism, condemning others is a sign of spiritual cancer in the life at best. In fact, it could be a sign of actual spiritual death rather than life at all. This is why Jesus says in verse 37, judge not, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Why? Because that's the outflow of an unsaved heart. See, that, that's the unsaved world. That's how the world lives. That's how the unsaved live. And the unsaved are still under the, the umbrella of God's judgment and God's coming condemnation. So don't live like that. Don't live that out in your life. Kingdom citizens don't live like that. We're not to be judgmental. We're not to be condemning because we have no ability to do that. Vengeance is the Lord's, not ours. Jesus gives a third command here, which pardon, pardon and you will be pardoned. The third command is an unforgiving disposition. An unforgiving disposition. Jesus says be, be, be accepting. Be accepting the idea of not being judgmental, not being condemning, and be forgiving. Pardon and you will be pardoned. That's the idea. Forgiveness. The original word here is the word for setting free. Dismiss it. Set it free. Let it go. Release it. Sometimes even in Scripture it's used for the word divorce. Of course, we we understand God hates divorce, Malachi says. But it's the idea of, of a separation Sending one away, if you will. That release that happens. So the idea here is to forgive. 
pardon and you will be pardoned. Jesus isn't saying that if we forgive others, then we earn our own forgiveness. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. We have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Right? God has forgiven us as Christians in Christ. There isn't a sin that's not forgiven, even the ones you will commit. Christ has paid the price for those. So Jesus isn't saying you're going to earn forgiveness. No. Again, this is an identifier of a kingdom citizen. Kingdom citizens are forgivers. They pardon. This is the reflection of your life. You pardon, guess what that shows? That you will be pardoned. You're not going to be judged in the future because you've already been judged. Those who are true kingdom citizens are forgiving by nature. In other words, they have a forgiving disposition. This is who they are. And it's evidenced in how they treat others. They are a person who have been forgiven and therefore they forgive. In fact, this is exactly how Jesus said to the disciples they ought to pray. They said, teach us how to pray. Matthew 6, verse 12, He said, pray this way. Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven others. In other words, Lord, we don't want you to do anything for us that we won't do and haven't done for others. You pray like that? Or do you say, Lord, just forgive everything. Forgive it all. Or do you say, Lord, don't, don't, don't treat me in a special way if I haven't treated others like you've treated me. Don't treat me differently then I am willing to treat others. So true Christians can and do forgive. It doesn't mean we don't struggle to forgive. Certainly we do, right? We're not free from the temptations of the flesh, particularly when somebody hates us and somebody mistreats us and somebody lashes out against us. But a Christian disposition is be, to be one to forgive and to work to forgive. So we're to be non-judgmental, we're to be non-condemning, we're to be forgiving, we're to have a forgiving disposition. That's the heart of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then finally, Jesus says that the disposition of his followers is one of giving. Giving. Give. Verse 38, give. One simple word, give. Give. It'll be given to you. God's not in debt to us. Right? We can never outgive our Savior. Doesn't matter what we give, we could give our entire life. We still haven't given as much as Christ has given. None of us were equal with God. And yet willfully relinquished setting aside that divine prerogative for taking on humanity. We cannot give God. So this is an illustration that the people of the time would have known really well, particularly growing up in that agrarian society, because they often went out buy, to buy wheat. You notice he says, it'll be given to you how good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. This was a common reality. Go out, you buy your grain from the 
person who had some, potentially, if you didn't have the means to raise it yourself, you'd go to the merchant. The merchant would would do this. He would fill up the vessel that you brought. There would be a good measure. He would press it down, make sure he got all the little spaces out of that. It would shake it together. It would fill it up just to make sure it was running over to the very top. That's how they would get their grain. Overflowing until it was running over into the lap. This is the overflowing grace of God for us when we follow Him. God just gives and gives and gives and gives. That is simply to say that often when we think of living like this, we think, we'll miss out. If I do that, I'm just going to be a doormat. I'm going to miss out on all those things we'll be taken advantage of. And yet here God is reminding us through the words of Jesus Christ that God sees it all. And God always does what is best for us. Always does what's best for us. You can never outgive God. Just give. So true disciples give, and then they give, and then they give again. Not just economically. Certainly there's more to giving than just our economics. We give ourselves, right? We give ourselves. We are slaves of Christ. Why? Because underneath all of the externals, underneath all of the expressions that people see and that people receive from us is a heart of a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a heart that is like their Savior. Christ just gives and gives and gives. Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You say, so what's the goal? What's the goal? The goal is simply this. The goal is to be like Christ. God saved us so that we would be like Christ. Christ is accepting. Christ is forgiving. Christ is giving. Always seeking the best for our souls. This is Christ. We can't forget. We can't forget what the Apostle Paul said in our study of Galatians. It's ironic to me how God in His providence kind of slams these two passages together in our study over the last several months. I haven't planned that out. Some of you folks think, man, I'm some kind of scriptural wizard that kind of puts all this together and goes, oh, this will fit with this and everything else. You know what? I, I, it's not that scientific. I just say, I'm going to preach this next. And somehow God just goes, hey, check this out. We can't forget what it says. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. In other words, 
You walk by the Spirit, guess what? You will be like Christ. You'll be like Christ. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you again for this. Lord, I, I pray this is clear in our minds and our hearts. I pray that we would grasp the riches and depth of what you have for us here, that we would just spend time meditating on this, not so much that we would just have the words, but have the outworking of it in our life. Lord, we, we know that we are commanded to love Far too often, we, we love like the world rather than like you. We love for our own benefit, what we might get out of it, thinking that somehow we, we can accomplish what we need because we're the ones tasked with fulfilling it somehow in our minds we think that when in fact all we need to do is just follow you. Just do what you've asked us to do. Revel in the grace and mercy that you've shown us. Find our greatest joy in just simply knowing you, serving you. And if you choose to give to us back through others by their loving us in return, then we can praise you for that. But Lord, help us to love without ever expecting it. Help us to reach out to one another just because we love you. We want to live like you have lived for us. So help us walk by the Spirit and be like you. And you receive all the praise and all the honor forever and ever and ever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.